the question, what kind of cities do we want to live in? How do we want our cities to be? Cannot be divorced from the question of what kind of people we want to be. What kind of humanity we wish to create amongst ourselves and how we want to create it. And it is that mutual constitution of the city and who we are and what we are that is something which is, I think, again, very important to reflect upon. This is The City, an hour dedicated to a critical discussion of urban issues. Welcome to the program here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, and that's CJSF.ca. Also available as a podcast at thecityfm.org. I'm Andy Longhurst. On the program, I'm talking with Rory Sutherland, co-author of a recent report that examines the increasingly expensive single-room occupancy housing in Vancouver's downtown east side. SRO housing uh, houses roughly 5,000 people who live on the edge of homelessness. But this housing stock is under threat from rising rents. You're tuned into the city, an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions. Stay with us.
This is The City here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca. And we're syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, CJSF.ca. And you may be listening um, to this as a podcast uh, from the city, fm.org. Uh, My name is Andy Longhurst. Uh, you're tuned in for an hour of critical urban discussions um, and uh, some music as well. So uh, at the top, we heard uh, the Pack AD um, and uh, just heard from Beach House. So thanks again for tuning in and for being with me. Um, 731 homeless people uh, live in the downtown east side, according to the city of Vancouver. Approximately 5,000 more live on the edge of homelessness in tiny single-room occupancy hotel rooms. With no private kitchen or bathroom and an often poor management, mice, rats, cockroaches, and bedbugs. Most of these people rely on welfare and basic pension and desperately need new self-contained social housing units. This year's Carnegie Community Action Project's Hotel and Housing Report found that SROs in the downtown east side are more expensive than ever, and that fewer still are available to low-income individuals looking for rooms. Rory Sutherland is a co-author of the report, No Place to Go, Losing Affordable Housing and Community, and I spoke with him by phone about the findings of this report. Can you give an overview of the research findings in uh, this uh, report no place to go um, so I think that the most striking finding was the when we looked at the actual average rents over the past five years for all the hotels we looked at um, we noticed that they had actually jumped up by about seventy dollars over five years which doesn't sound like a lot but when you consider that people are you know, living off 610 bucks a month and they only get, they're expected to find shelter on $375. It is quite a bit. Um, and we compare that with the ref, uh, inflation rate and that was inflation accounted for about 25 bucks of the, of the 70, $70 increase. So that was one, one thing that really jumped out at us, I think right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also another thing was vacancies. Um, basic. Are you still with us? Are you still with me, Andy? I am. I'm here. Yep. Okay. Sorry. It sounded like it cut out for a second there. Um, so as far as vacancies, uh, with rooms that are renting for $375 or less, the, the welfare shelter allowance, we didn't find any rooms at that rate this year. Um, so in previous years, that there had always been like maybe one or two, but this year there was nothing. Um, the only exception to that rule was we found um, there were two rooms about the size of a single bed with, uh, with no window or anything like that that we're renting for. I think one was... One was 375 and the other was 400 but we didn't include those because those really, they're illegal. You can't even consider those a room and they, they're not supposed to be rented out. Um, they're really more like closets than anything else. But, um, and an interesting thing, one of the, a room like that was found last year and it was renting for one of the small rooms with no window or anything. It was renting for 300 bucks, but this year they were 375 and 400 for the two we found. So that was um, quite striking as well. Um, and then 
the one thing they've tracked over the the past years as well are the uh, the rooms where the lowest rent um, is four hundred and twenty five dollars or more. So in two thousand and nine, they found um, about fourteen hundred rooms where the or uh, 1,400 rooms in hotels where all the the lowest rents are, or all the, the lowest rate for the room is um, $425 or more. So that was 1,400 in 2009. And then in 2012, it was 2,042, so up almost 500. And then this year, we found there were about 200 more over last year, so about uh, 2,278 rooms. And when we actually, when we go around to the rooms, or the hotels, we look at, we ask about the, the lowest, um, the lowest renting room, and we base all our, our numbers on, on those. So we could get like, um, given a, you know, the lowest rent of 425 in a hotel, but in reality, you know, a lot of the rooms could and probably are renting for more like 500 in in some of the hotels, especially the gentrifying ones. Um, so those are those are some of the some of the really significant findings that kind of stood out, I guess, as far as the numbers go. Can you speak to um, what? Give us a sense of when hotels are undergoing gentrification or they're gentrifying, and um, if they're trying to attract a different type of tenant um, and how this, maybe can you illustrate this through some of the online advertisements um, that you, uh, that you included in the report? Mm. Yeah. So that was a, a big one that we found this year was an increase in the online advertising. So um, I started out by actually physically going around to all the hotels and, and getting the rents. And then um I obviously couldn't get access to all the hotels or rent information for all of them. So I started looking on Craigslist and basically we noticed that there were quite a few of the hotels advertising on Craigslist, especially the ones that were um, gentrifying. So, I mean, just looking at, at some of the quotes from the online advertising, there's, um, Consistently, you know, there's language like artists and students are encouraged um, and, you know, send send a little bit about yourself and why you would be chosen for our building, stuff like that. And just in the advertising, you know, some of them refer to um, hand-selected guests and um, the prestige of the neighborhood and, and things like that. Um, one referred to the the SRO model, where the you know the classic SRO with the all the rooms and then the bathroom down the hall kind of thing as um, that that set up as Paris or New York style living. So <laughs> some right. of them were really really over the top. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the, one asked for to for people to send their LinkedIn profile and just stuff that you know people living in the in the low income community in the downtown east side have issues with access to internet and and you know just stuff that it, it's obvious that it's um the 
advertisements are designed for a, a certain type of tenant. How does this compare with um, while you've tracked the, the changing um, rates for the SROs and how that's been changing and deteriorating over the years? Um, how does this compare with the new construction of social housing in the neighborhood? Mm, yeah, well, the, um, that was Gene Swanson was mostly mostly looking at that issue, but as far as you know, what what was in the report, um, really, it's it's um, definitely uh, social housing isn't keeping up with. Um, you know, with the, with the demand, I guess. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, this is quite quite astounding. Um, while there are over t- um, 200 SRO rooms lost to higher rents this year, a mere eight mm-hmm. units of new self-contained social housing at welfare rate opened. So, I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. quite quite yeah. stark. Yeah, and when you look at that, with yeah, the issues like new condos going in and. Um, one section of the report does deal with what they call rate of change. So that's um, new sort of social housing construction versus new market housing or condo development type construction. And in 2005, the city did a report that recommended uh, a one-to-one rate of change for the, the downtown east side. And when Jean started looking at all the numbers over the past couple of years, she noticed that that's um, looking more like three to one with what's actually happening. And I mean, the only thing that keeps it at three to one is I think there's two large social housing projects that are um, provincially supported um, that, uh, that there's no more of those types of projects projected for the future. And so without those two major projects, the rate of change would be more like seven to one. Um, so that's quite striking. And then she also compiled um, sort of a, a projection over the next uh, 30 years with with the, the planning that's going on currently for the downtown east side, what the rate of change will potentially look like and came up with the, the figure of more like... Um, 10 units of sort of unaffordable housing to for every one unit of affordable welfare rate social housing. So quite, quite dramatic. So with welfare rates remaining at $610 a month um, Mm -hmm. and the, the, um, the rising SRO rates, rental rates, um, what are Mm -hmm. some of the implications for people that are low income and trying to survive on this for other um, basic needs like food um, and and other expenses yeah that's um, that's a huge issue and like like I said with the average rents going up it's um, leaving people with less and less so we have one chart in the report where we track how much people have left after their you know um, after paying their rent um, how much they have left for spending money so in 2009, a person was left with um, $212 for spending money for the month. And now in 2013, with the welfare rates uh, remaining the same, it's down to $141 for spending money. So that means people are, are really forced between, you know, choosing whether they they want to buy something to eat versus, you know, um, 
maybe getting their sort of medication refilled, their stuff like that, just sort of struggling with, with basic needs, you know, like food versus healthcare versus clothing versus, um, yeah, anything. Uh, I mean, stuff like that we, people who aren't low income might take for granted, like entertainment or, um, you know, money for hobbies, anything like that is completely out of the question. People are just um, stuck with trying to trying to survive and um, keep themselves healthy in what are really would be challenging circumstances for anyone to live in. And um, I think that's you know it's a backdrop of um, cuts for cuts in really a lot of areas of social services that are sort of a, across the board. So it's really getting harder for people on many different levels. Why should um, why should people, perhaps middle class people, care about this issue? They may not see themselves as uh, needing or ever living in SRO units. Um, but why should why is this an issue that the city and the region needs to care about? Mm. It has two arguments, I guess. I mean, there's kind of the 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 crude argument that you know all this people living in, in terrible housing and um, really that aggravating so many other issues in their lives, it's um, it's expensive as a society to take care of those sort of problems that spin out of the fact that people don't have um, a, a decent place to live. Um, so I think that's, that's, you know, one argument that could be made. And I guess the other argument is we have to ask ourselves, I mean, what kind of society do we want to live in? You know, Canada is an extremely rich country and BC is a, a very, a very um, well-off province. And is it, you know, what does it do to, to society as a whole when we have sort of one, one segment of the population that is completely marginalized and, and and dismissed and living in you know just terrible conditions i think i think that's the question we need to ask ourselves does this also raise i mean raise also questions about um about homelessness and whether i mean the city has said they want to end street homelessness by by 20 uh 20 i'm now forgetting the date but i think it was um relatively soon um yeah 2015 or by 2015 yeah so again mm -hmm. does this raise questions about if um if that if that goal can ever be met if this housing stock um does deteriorate both physically um and also in terms of the accessibility um because of the rising mm -hmm. rates mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think you know if it, with the the rents going up that's um, not gonna definitely not gonna do anything to to help the you know 730 or so homeless people that are living on the downtown east, east side already in the um, you know you have 5,000 people that are in SROs um, and often in very difficult circumstances and maybe on the verge of homelessness so I think unless something's done to um, 
unless something's done to, you know, get housing that is accessible to people. Um, definitely homelessness is the, the, the idea of end, ending homelessness is, is absurd unless, unless there's actually somewhere for people to go. What are some of the recommendations coming out of this report, Rory? Um, so there's a variety of recommendations. You know, at the most basic level, they recommend that the, the federal government enact a um, national housing program. Um, and then at the provincial level, um, there's stuff like, you know, basically basic stuff that's just common sense like raising um, raising welfare, disability, and minimum wage. Um, and then things like um, reforming the Residential Tenancy Act uh, to to give um, rent control to, to per, by the unit rather than um, by the tenant. So right now, the, if someone moves out of, of an SRO, the landlord can um, basically raise the rate as much as, as uh, they want. So in these SROs that are gentrifying, there's a lot of pressure to to you know push people out if they're if they're only paying 400, which they can they can stay on at 400 for as long as they want the way the way it um, it is now, unless they get evicted. So if that if the rate for the was tied to the room rather than the tenant that would keep the the um, the prices more stable and then for the province um, building more social housing um, and then also making it illegal to uh, discriminate against low income tenants based on social condition um, poverty drug use that kind of thing so we found a lot of this year in the report we found a lot of various uh, screening processes uh, background checks, application processes, that kind of thing. Um, so that's sort of tied to the discrimination piece, I think. And then specifically for the city, um, they'd like to see the uh, definition of social housing um, sort of reformed to make a little bit more sense. So right now, social housing is has a very wide definition, um, and it can include housing that's completely unaffordable to low-income people. So they'd like to see social housing classified as housing that is available to people um, at the shelter allowance rate for welfare or 30% of old age pension. Um, and yeah, those are just a few of the recommendations, I guess. Is there anything else that uh, we didn't touch on that you want to add? Um, one, one thing that might be worth mentioning is that we found one company living balance, um, was participating in a lot of the, the downtown east side and the gentrification of the downtown east side. So, um, at the time that we released the report, they had just bought up two more SRO hotels, which means they own 10% of the hotel rooms that are on CCAP's list for the survey. So they bought the uh, station and the Thornton Park. And these are hotels that have had rooms at about the $375 to $400 rate since 2009. And um, 
so the problem, I mean, uh, we talk about it a bit in the report, how there have been um, sort of rumors about um, this company buying people off to get rid of them or in other ways trying to kind of bully them out of the out of their buildings. So um, that was one thing that's quite recent and really concerning for us. Um, yeah. So, I, th- I think touch on that in the report. Yeah, I think there's a video that's uh, there's been circulating with the the uh, owner of uh, Living Balance talking about how there's really no um, there's no business case to be made for um, having low income or welfare rate uh, tenants in SROs and sort of making the case that any common or commonsensical business person would sort of try to do away with this. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm just wondering if you can comment on that. Yeah, so that's actually Jeffrey Howes, and he's the, I think, the VP of business development or something for Living Balance. Stephen Littman is actually the owner. Okay. And, um, yeah, so the, the, that YouTube video, their general, their general philosophy, and it's funny because on one hand, he's, He's talking about legally they can charge any amount they want for the renovated SRO rooms, but on the other hand, he's saying their blended model works works so well, you know, with a mix of rates between um, welfare rates and you know market rates, basically. Um, and I think he also says that it's it's not really a good business model for them to rent at welfare rates because the his words are the rooms get destroyed, I think is how he puts it. Rory Sutherland is co-author of the report, No Place to Go, Losing Affordable Housing and Community. And I spoke with him by phone. And that was uh, the Carnegie Community Action Project's annual hotel and housing report. Um, and they found that SROs, single room occupancy uh, hotel rooms, um, known as SROs, um, in which uh, roughly 5,000 people live on the edge of homelessness in, um, and, and in many respects um, are the, the last stop before homelessness, um, those units are increasingly out of reach of people uh, dependent on disability and welfare who uh, live in the downtown east side. If you missed any part of that, you can find that at thecityfm.org. This is The City, an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions here on 101.9 FM, CITR, and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM and at thecityfm.org. Stay with us.
This is The City here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca. And we're syndicated here on uh, CJSF 90.1 FM, CJSF.ca. And you might be listening to this as a podcast at thecityfm.org or maybe off of iTunes. So however you're finding the program, uh, thanks so much for tuning in and uh, checking out the program. This is The City Now. We're dedicated to critical urban discussions. And uh, we're here Tuesdays live on CITR, 5 to 6 p.m., and syndicated on CJSF from 10 to 11 a.m. on Friday. So, again, uh, thanks for tuning in live um, or uh, any way that you're finding the program. We had a number of tracks um, following our conversation uh, with Rory Sutherland, uh, co-author of the report, No Place to Go, uh, looking at uh, the de- deterioration of, um, of single-room occupancy housing in Vancouver's downtown east side and the rising rents that are making that um, last stop housing stock um, more unattainable and unaffordable for those who depend on it. So what did we hear? We heard from uh, the John Coltrane Quartet um, from their album from 1961, Africa Brass, um, the track uh, Greensleeves, 
And uh, most recently, we heard from Sleuth, and uh, that track was off of the CITR Pop Alliance Volume 3 album, and that was Apocalypse, Please Sign the Release Form First. What do we have up next? Oh, and uh, before uh, before this, uh, we heard the Ballantines, uh, Liquor Store, Gun Store, Pawn Shop, Church, with uh, one of my favorite tracks, uh, Night Gospel. So again, uh, a recent album uh, from the Ballantines. And... Uh, Coming up next, we have a track from uh, Spring, and uh, we're going to get right into that um, for the rest of the hour here on The City um, on 101.9 FM, CJSF 90.1 FM. Thanks so much for tuning in. Stay with us. More to come. If you're tuning in on CITR, you've got Flex Your Head coming up next at 6 p.m., and if you're listening syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, you've got Democracy Now! coming on at 11 a.m. with Amy Goodman. Thanks for tuning in.
and this is The City, and you're listening on 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, uh, and uh, on CJSF 90.1 FM, syndicated. And if you missed any part of the program, you can uh, download it as a podcast at thecityfm.org. You can catch the program live on CITR, as I mentioned, Tuesdays 5 p.m., and syndicated on CJSF Fridays at 10 a.m., and uh, be sure to follow the program on Twitter with the handle the city underscore FM and on Facebook by searching the city critical urban discussions. And again, you can find the program as a podcast at the city FM and lots of great uh, content posted there um, and links to different um, urban things uh, that might interest you as well. So again, check that out. www.thecityfm.org. I'm Andy Longhurst. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week with more critical urban discussions. Have a great week. Sunday children who fill the schoolhouse of perfect students. Quiet, obedient, focused listeners make it through. They stare